Bigfoot Society would like to thank the following sponsors for helping make the podcast possible. The Singular Fortean Society has combined open and honest paranormal investigation and journalism since 2016. Visit the Society at Singular Fortean for all the latest weird news and more. Come with us and investigate the impossible. Lauren Smith is the hostess for Nightcaller's Bigfoot Radio, which has been on air for over a decade and has completed over 300 shows. Lauren brings with her a unique viewpoint given that she is not only the daughter of one of the veteran female Bigfoot researchers in the South, but she has been conducting field research since she was a preteen some 20 years ago. Nightcallers is a Bigfoot world favorite, and along with interviewing researchers and witnesses, often features interviews with guests from the documentary film and entertainment industry. Lauren also does a vidcast segment called Nightcallers, which features real encounters sent in by viewers. You can find all of this and more at nightcallersproductions.com. Welcome to the Bigfoot Society Clubhouse, where we discuss a new or old topic in cryptozoology every week. Just hang out and have a good time. I do need to let you know that by hanging out with us on stage and talking in the discussion, you are giving consent to uh, being recorded, which will be used in a future Bigfoot Society podcast, uh, YouTube video, could be anything that you could imagine coming down the pipeline. Uh, if you're not comfortable with that, uh, please go ahead and move on down to the audience. Uh, sit back, relax, have a good time. Again, thanks to all for uh, hanging out. And, uh, let's just have a good time. All right, everyone. Well, thanks for uh, coming back to the Bigfoot Society uh, Club on Clubhouse. And if uh, welcome if you're listening to this on uh, YouTube or the podcast. Uh, welcome as well. Pretty big milestone was reached today. We actually uh, have a total of 200 combined followers and members in uh, the number one. It's the number one cryptozoology club on Clubhouse. So a very big deal. It's exciting. I've got a lot of uh, people on stage with me today, different panelists. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, instances, mistaken identity cryptids, uh, an instance where a animal was thought of as a cryptid, uh, you'll kind of see as we go along. But uh, I've got a lot of cool people with me on stage. I've got Alex Petikoff, I've got Paul, uh, Ashley, Aaron, Tate, Lisa, Mike. You'll be hearing maybe from others as well as we bring them up on stage. But um, as you uh, start to uh, share your uh, topic, guys, uh, if you wouldn't mind sharing, uh, if you're from a podcast or what it is you're uh, best known for, that would be awesome. So people get some context for who's speaking. Um, I'm going to go ahead and start. And if this is your first episode of the Bigfoot Society podcast, uh, pretty wild one. But um, <laughs> so I'm Jeremiah. I'm the host of the Bigfoot Society podcast. And the one uh, <laughs> the one that I'm focusing on is kind of kind of interesting. Um so we all know of the the jackalope. And so it's a little bunny with big deer antlers, right? And I don't know, to be honest, I don't know if anyone seriously thinks this is a real cryptid. I mean, that they actually exist. Because it's actually one of those things, like, I feel that they don't, but I might be stepping on toes big time. 
Uh, so I don't want to start like a big, you know, thing there. But the interesting thing about rabbits, and I learned this actually from Nate Brislin in um, his uh, discussion that he was having in his Facebook group with Kenzie the other um, night, is that some rabbits actually get a certain uh, disease, um, which... Uh, <clears throat> If you look up photos for it, be forewarned. Uh, it is it is kind of hard to see the the cute little bunny rabbits with this with this disease going on. It's a virus called uh, I'm going to try to say it. Papilla. Nope, I can't even say it. Um, papillomatosis. It's also called jackalopism. Uh, pretty much, you, you have a parasite which causes growths to grow on the rabbit's head that kind of look like they could be antlers ish if you squint um but that's really an example of how seeing something like that in the wild may have given um uh it may have grown into the uh jackalope legend uh, we're not sure but um again that's the thing that i uh latched on to i don't know if anyone has any thoughts about if uh is there anyone here that uh views the jackalope as a as a real animal i'm just curious about that i can hear by your silence that no one is gonna no one is gonna say that the jackalope is a real animal so i think the consensus is that uh we're, we're thinking uh, not so much but um let's continue with the discussion um i'm gonna pick my bud uh it's nice to see mike here tonight it's nice to see everyone here tonight but mike it's good to see you here uh what do you have to to share tonight well first of all i apologize for being late i'm trying to get prep for a outing so i'm mike from tactical bigfoot research um i also am the co-host of where's my sage a podcast with uh christy london who's down below tonight uh i've been looking at some lake monsters and generally what I'm finding up in my area, things that would be logged in with one specific old greenie would be the freshwater fish in the pike family. So your pike and your muscalange. And generally you'll see them swimming along the surface every so often with their heads out of the water. And they will pack up like a wolf pack so you end up with many humps on the top of the water. I've seen them pack up. Uh, I'm a recovery diver for quite a few years. And while diving, I've seen them pack up together and move around. And But you'll, a lot of times they hunt different surface life, frogs, uh, small mammals, and ducks. And you'll catch them with their heads out of the water. So sometimes they may get mistaken for some of those larger uh, eel-like type creatures because they are long and thin. They have the triangle teeth that you'll hear and uh, you get a good uh, musky or tiger musky. You're looking for almost like thigh size and uh, you know girth. So that's kind of what I was looking. Um, I've seen them up and fishing out of the water and you, you really got to second guess what you're seeing. Uh, and if you get a couple of them in a row, you end up with humps so again, that gives you your, your look, like your Ogopogo or some of your smaller lake monsters. So 
Uh, anyone's thoughts on that or anybody else besides myself seen pike or muskie swim with their heads out of the water? Yes, I have. Mike, how long um, how long are these uh, these fish usually get? I'm just curious. You can get some muskie and get them up to about 60 inches. And then you're looking at a, a good 70 pounds or bigger. Um, and they're scattered throughout the world, uh, you know, in those upper uh, northern hemispheres. And there's some other species that are kind of similar. But definitely, you know, in North America, you'll end up with with a muskie. I mean, uh, Paul probably gives a little more on it. He's the big fisherman. Um, but I've seen some record size. And then if you find a lake that there's some sturgeon in, you may, you know, get that, you know, double take of two different fish working in the same area. I think, you know, it's crazy. Like that has come up in a ton of my interviews is how fish can be, uh, you know, you can think you're looking at a lake monster, but you're actually looking at a huge fish. Um, that's crazy like that's a really good one to bring up thank you mike thank you i appreciate it and uh i will uh if if we're good i'll go with uh That was very suspenseful. It <laughs> was incredible. He, he actually just dropped out of the clubhouse as he was about to choose someone um Okay. Uh, well, let me let me channel Mike here. Well, who would he have picked? I think he would have picked. Yeah, maybe we'll give him a, like a minute or so to return. <laughs> yeah, 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 but, yeah. <laughs> oh man, yeah, no, that's interesting. Uh, something I've heard definitely with some of the Champ stuff as well. Champ, the lake monster, obviously, in Lake Champlain. There are pike in that area. Oh, here he is. Here's Mike. I'm back. Good to see that you back, so, Mike. Mike. That was so suspenseful. You were about to say who it was, and then you just dropped off the app. <laughs> Technology has not been my friend tonight. I've been trying <laughs> to set up a an infrared camera system for uh, a live investigation we're doing this weekend. I, I was going to pick Ashley next. Oh, yay. Thank you. So, yeah, so I'm going to kind of... Um do a, a little bit of a deep dive here um you know obviously if, if, if people don't know me uh, my name is ashley i'm a 40 investigator um as far as content goes i am the co-host of the on wednesdays we talk beard podcast um and as of right now i'm working on a feature length documentary about the mothman so i figured that's what i would i would kind of talk about today so there's there's a really popular theory that the Mothman could have potentially been a sandhill crane, and that's what people are seeing in the area. Now, I know that there's probably some misconceptions about the Mothman, uh, but he didn't actually look like a moth at all. Um, so I find I have a very hard time believing that it could have possibly even been a crane uh, because the descriptions just don't really match up. And like I said, I know that's popular, however, I'm going to bring up something that nobody really talks about. Um, and that is the Stygian owl. Now, I don't know if you've seen the Stygian owl. Um, of course, owls have also been, you know, possibly equated to the Mothman. However, the Stygian owl specifically, um, if you look at them, they have, especially in, in the perfect lighting, they have these really, really scary red eyes. And they really look horrifying. 
So if you were to see one of these guys in the dark, um, you know, you could definitely mistake that for something else, especially when you're in a wooded area. <laughs> and maybe it's on top of a tree. Also, owls kind of do their little uh, battle stance. And when they do that, they kind of kick up their rear end a little bit to try to kind of make themselves look bigger. And then they puff out and they'll make these like scary noises at you. Um, but then it also has these uh, glowing red eyes. But it's not just like really a, a glowing like eye shine. It's like almost like an internal glow um now the problem with that could potentially be that you know the mothman another mothman the stygian owl um is uh it inhabits south america but that doesn't that doesn't um mean that somebody could not have possibly had this as an exotic pet um we kind of see that a lot in this field uh, are you know um misplaced animals because people take on these exotic animals they end up not being able to care for them and they release them out in the wild uh that's why the burmese python is such an issue down in florida um is because of instances like those so this i mean it could have possibly been something like that um either way i'm sure even in south america the stygian owl has been um uh, you know, definitely um, a prime suspect in some of the um, interesting sightings and, and happenstances that they have down there um, as well. So, yeah, the, the Stygian Owl, look it up. I'll, uh, I'll share pictures in the Discord. So, Ashley, that's – I haven't heard that one before. That was really cool. If you look at uh, photos of it, it's got, like, these bright red eyes too, which are super crazy looking. Yeah, they're they're scary. I mean, they they could definitely be. If I saw that thing at night, I would not go anywhere near it. That's for sure. Especially it's hissing at me and stuff. I guess they don't really hiss, but they. I mean, they kind of do. They make this weird noise. They're just they're horrifying. So stuff of uh stuff of nightmares. Those Stygian owls. Totally, totally. Yeah, that's a good one. I like that one. Uh, for people that I'm just gonna say real quick, for people that are in the audience that are new, we are uh, talking about mistaken identity cryptids. Uh, is, times where uh maybe a cryptid ended up being an animal or an animal could have been the um answer for what we're looking at as a cryptid but if you have uh thoughts to contribute as we go along or um eventually we'll open it up uh you know if you have a, a question or discussion about anything you feel free to raise your hand but uh, uh ashley um who would you like to uh, choose next yeah, I'm going to go with Aaron. I'm, I'm really excited. We haven't really had Aaron on one of these yet, so I, I want to hear what he's got to say. Oh, for sure. Oh, man. Thank you, guys. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, dude. I've been having microphone issues. Okay. So, uh, first of all, it is an honor and a privilege to be on a panel with these titans of industry in the paranormal community. So, thank you all. Um, but I picked uh, the wolfman or the dogman or the werewolf or the Rougarou or uh, the wolver or whichever whichever label you like for the humanoid canine um, for this topic when it slid across the table. Because short of Sasquatch, in the last two years that I've been doing really deep research into the paranormal and the unknown, nothing has, has come across my radar more often than the werewolf or the shapeshifter or really the humanoid canine. Um, and I really, really latched on to the beast of Bray road, um, just because it's such a well-documented case. There are so many sightings. Should I summarize that real quick? Or is everybody here generally familiar with the beast of Bray road? I mean, if you want to give a, a 
really short summary. That's all right. Super short. Um, so yeah, so the Beast of Bray Road is generally described as a werewolf-like creature, and those are air quotes, um, that appeared in and around the area of Elkhorn, Wisconsin, really going back as far as possibly the 1920s um, and as recently as uh, the 2020s. Like, there are sightings as recently as 2020 of a bipedal, humanoid-looking canine creature um, in and around Elkhorn, Wisconsin, or that general area. And I'm going to be honest with you guys. I was doing research into trying to prove that werewolves are maybe possibly real, just based on our topic for tonight. But I feel like you could flip this the other way. Um, because the Beast of Bray Road, you have multiple sightings from independent witnesses over a long period of time, going back as far as the 1920s, as recently as the 2000s. Um, and you just have to ask yourself, how many times can people make the same mistake? How many times can people look at a moose or a dog or a bear and mistake it for a quote unquote werewolf, which is really what kind of got me onto this topic in the first place. Um, it's just the fact that there are so many sightings and there are so many people spread out across a wide geographical area who will claim to have seen a bipedal wolf-like creature. Um, but there are a lot of ways to debunk this. You know, uh, you saw a dog, you saw a bear, you saw a wolf. There are a lot of things that could possibly in the human mind fit the profile of a bipedal canine creature. Um, but I find this story so interesting because it pops up so frequently throughout human history, throughout literature, throughout folklore, um, stories of bipedal canine creatures pop up as far back as the ancient Egyptians. So that's the reason I chose this particular topic uh, for tonight's discussion, because it's just so widespread. It's so deeply inundated in our history. Um, I hope I've spoken to the point, but that's that's kind of where I'm at. So I have a question for you. I'm just curious if you found anything like this in your research. So I've seen like videos and reports of like bears uh, walking for a distance on their hind legs. Have there been any reports of like uh, canines uh, doing that? I'm trying to think and I don't know if I've ever seen any reports like that. So uh, there are plenty of examples of canine animals walking on their rear legs either as a trick or as an adapted behavior. And uh, Sarah, the other half of Hey Strangeness, my wife, is a veterinary technician by trade. That's what she does. And she will cite three to four anecdotal examples whenever I bring this up, trying to convince her that werewolves are real, um, of dogs that can walk on their rear legs either on command or as an adapted behavior or purely just, you know, depending on what you believe about the abstract emotions of dogs, purely just for fun. Um, so I think that's entirely possible if that's, if that answers your question. Oh yeah, definitely. Like I, I honestly had never heard that was a possibility and, uh, that's pretty awesome. So, I mean, it gives me a lot to think about, uh, regarding the, um, you know, Beast of Bray Road and, 
yeah, who knows what we got going on. I don't know if anyone else has any any thoughts about that or. Yeah, something I've thought about, um, and you can look this up, do a Google search. Um, bear, black bears with mange. Look, could uh, I mean they look pretty freaky anyway, um, but uh, that's one potential animal that I, I thought could uh, be mistaken for a dogman-like creature. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean I've I've heard that one too, and they they truly do look terrifying. Another one I've heard uh, talked about in regards, especially to some of the Minnesota, or I, I should say the Midwestern, not Minnesota, um, Wisconsin, Michigan dog man. You know, a lot of these areas in the Midwest. Obviously, there's a history of uh, people from Germany and, and Scandinavia settling those areas, cultures that certainly would have had some sort of cultural depictions of werewolves, but. Um, the idea Deep that they, werewolf legends in those cultures, yes. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, wolves from northern Canada, which grow quite large in size, maybe finding their way down into some of these areas, maybe one of those uh, possibilities. I don't know, because the, the whole dogman thing, I mean, I just had a guy the other day email me about saying he may have seen one in New Hampshire. I don't know, you know what exactly to make of that, but... Uh, it seems to differ from the typical werewolf lore. I mean, I've looked into the, the Rougarou of Louisiana, and that's like a more of a classic werewolf. It's a lot of religious overtones. Uh, it's very, it's like a Cajun werewolf, basically a swamp werewolf. You know, you turn into it, and you can, you you take form and change. So it's a little bit different than dogman stuff. But I think maybe even possibility of dire wolves uh, surviving. I don't know. That's one of the things that people suggest so yeah it's definitely interesting species that modern science hasn't classified yet because we haven't found modern examples of them you think is that what you mean trying to turn my mic on there yeah um yeah i think that's a possibility you know maybe uh i know people talk about koi wolves (laughs) oh alex you are not bringing up koi wolves are you serious Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just there, there's a lot of uh, there's there's a lot of room here for all sorts of stuff, and people are scared. A lot of people are scared by dogs. I mean, so wolves are especially terrifying to them. So I don't know. I think there's a, there's a lot of uh, room here for maybe mistaken identity, but some people claim to have had you know experience with a dog man like creature. So I'm not here to say they did or didn't. I'm just trying to figure out what what is going on. So to explain my reaction so growing up in new england uh the old timers would always tell us little kids stories of koi dogs and look out for the koi wolves or the koi dogs because they're unstoppable and you know they'll get you and it was kind of like the old wives tales of of uh when i was growing up so that's just funny to hear someone else mention mention that we'll have we'll have to talk about that someday man yeah no that's kind of why i brought it up because it definitely growing up in the same area i've heard that similar kind of story too because wolves have obviously been extirpated from this area for the most part and Mm -hmm. we still get some examples of them trickling across the uh st lawrence down from canada it it happens from time to time um but uh yeah koi wolves are pretty terrifying you mentioned unstoppable wolves and the third the first thing that comes to my mind is uh you know the early accounts of skinwalker ranch the wolf that was shot with you know super powerful firearms and didn't really seem to care Uh, i'll be quiet after this i feel like i've used up my time but you know commonalities 
Oh, for sure. Like, uh, this, oh man, there's there's a tangent you could, we could all get on some other day about the Skinwalker Ranch. <laughs> uh, crazy we got to do bullet, a room about bulletproof that, wolf. Yeah. We'll figure out some way how to do it. But um, Aaron, that was a fantastic uh, discussion. Uh, thank you. Um, who would you like to uh, to go next, there, man? I'm just gonna go uh, in order based on what's showing up on my screen and uh, jump to Tate. He's to my right here. Uh, Tate, what do you think? I mean, Tate usually likes to go at the end. Yeah. So if, uh... Oh man. Okay. Okay. No, it's so it's cool. It's cool, man. You're new. I'm just excited to be here, but uh, either Tate or Lisa, they're the next ones on uh, my okay. screen. I'm happy to do it if Tate wants to wait until last, as always. Uh, so I am Lisa. I uh, am from Cryptic Comforts. Those of you not familiar with my work, I make weird little cryptid stuffies and other strange things. I also recently started a podcast called Cryptid Comforts Presents Monsters Under My Bed, and it is a sleep meditation podcast about cryptids. So if you're having trouble falling asleep at night, I'm your girl. And you can follow me on Instagram at cryptid underscore comforts. Um, and so I totally misunderstood the topic for tonight. And I was thinking it was cryptids who had been written off as an animal, but then that was proven that it couldn't have possibly been what the cryptid was. So I'm going to switch gears and not do what I originally had planned to talk about. That was what I did all my research on, Lisa, <laughs> just saying. Okay, cool. You're all so, good, Lisa. But I have something because I'm, I actually was working on something else that Sarah and I are actually going to be talking at length about on B-List Cryptids with her um, soon. So I figured I could just go that direction instead and talk about the devil bird of Sri Lanka. Um, so if you guys aren't familiar with the devil bird of Sri Lanka, the story... I'm just going to do a quick overview of the story. Basically, woman and man have a baby. The man decides that he doesn't think the baby is his. He kills the baby. He feeds it to her. Uh, she finds out what he's done, and she flees. She turns herself into a bird and flies off. Okay, so now she's living in the jungle in Sri Lanka and constantly screaming. And uh, you can hear, if you're ever in Sri Lanka, you might hear the sounds of a woman screaming. And it's actually a bird. Um, and they have narrowed down what the bird is, but they still haven't, haven't pinpointed it. I feel like a couple years ago when I looked into it, they had pinpointed it, but now they're like, oh, I don't know, maybe it's this one, maybe it's this one. Because the people who have seen it have all stated the same thing that the bird um i mean their description of what it looks like varies a bit but they said that when it screams it holds its beak up to the sky and screams and it sounds like just a devastating blood curdling scream um but they believe that it might be the spot-bellied owl that's like the number one what they thought it was the first time i researched it um they have there's a sound clip, which I'm going to find, um, not tonight, obviously, but of them actually, that was recorded of the bird screaming. It's amazing. It sounds so cool. Uh, I played it for my students once. Um, 
So the spot-bellied owl is what it is believed that this is probably. They said other contenders might be the forest eagle owl or the crested honey buzzard, um, but they know for sure that the sounds are coming from an actual bird, but the folklore of it is just so much more intriguing. That's all. That That's is all really, really cool. That's a cool story, uh, Lisa. It's such a good yeah. story. And uh, it's one of those that I really was hesitant when I shared it with my students who are, you know, around eight years old about sure. you know, cannibalism and murder and fun stuff like that. But uh, it's such a good story. And it's so interesting. And the idea that this bird can make that sound and it sounds so horrific of course there's going to be some fantastic folklore surrounding that sound exactly I, yeah. I would love to hear it myself um but i guess it's it's not something you'll hear every day some people who live there say they've only even heard it like three times um but you can hear it and it's creepy oh man Thank you and for, if you want to learn more that. about it, you should check out B-List Cryptids by Sarah. <laughs> totally. I'm going to be on there soon, and we're going to talk about this crazy devil bird. Um, oh, my goodness. I love it. Um, yeah. yeah, and when Lisa says that her podcast uh, will put you to sleep, it will because I tried listening to it this weekend, and I fell asleep. That's, so it, that's it works. the goal. 100, no, 100%. It works. So thank you, Lisa, for that. <laughs> So yes, please, if you need help sleeping and getting a quality night's sleep, I'm your girl, for no real. Doubt, no doubt. Uh, my voice on the podcast is much more soothing than it is right now, I assure you. <laughs> All right, so next up, let's go to Paul. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm learning a lot. I don't know about everybody else, but uh, every everything's been interesting so far. So I'm, can I just my, can I just throw something out there? Paul is uh, the guy who like identified an actual cryptid and discovered it and cataloged it. I just feel that's important to say. Yes, I'm Paul. I'm a zoologist, um, and uh, I found a species of turtle that hadn't been seen in over fifty years. So, uh, my topic kind of continues on in uh, doing field research for different species of reptiles and also amphibians. I was part of a, a survey, a six year long survey in the Wachita mountains, just north, about 60 miles north of Hot Springs, Arkansas. And we set up these uh, sampling lines or transects, we call them across six of these watersheds. So we're talking, you know, uh, hundreds of plots set along these transects up and down mountains and we would do it all all by foot hiking through these mountains we we'd, we'd uh, drop crews off of two to four people and hike for miles and then get picked up at the end or sometimes had to double back and so we spent a lot of time uh, not on any type of regular hiking trails or or paths we were really just uh, cutting brush through the forest. And in, in doing that, we, we came across some, some interesting things. Um, one of the, uh, we, had, we had been doing this for, I think about four years. And so when we, we 
went about five times a year and spent uh, one to two weeks as solid just working in the forest and you, you get pretty familiar with the sounds and things that are going on and this this place as beautiful as it is it's nothing but logging roads and we were surveying both uh, u.s forest land as well as private uh, timber company held uh, property and really for the most part the the scariest creatures i came across were human beings um we had one of our crews run across a uh, let's just say a, an illegal farming activity that was going on and actually had uh, skulls and booby traps uh what appeared to be booby traps fortunately nobody uh, had found out you know whether they f for sure were booby traps um i came across out in the middle of nowhere a goat that appeared to have been sacrificed it was uh hanging up in a tree had its uh, throat slit it was disemboweled just out in the middle of nowhere and we would uh, start early in the morning go uh, till the evening time and then sometimes we'd even go out at night uh, to do some of our calling amphibian surveys so after becoming familiar with the species that are in the area um, one trip we began hearing this really bizarre sound that none of us had ever heard before and it sounded I mean we were kind of freaked out by it because it it sounded very mechanical and it sounded but not the kind of a, a mechanical or a, a machine that we were familiar with and you know it, it wasn't like a tractor or a regular vehicle it wasn't a chainsaw and and we spent days trying to figure out what in the world this sound was and what was interesting about it is we would just come across it um uh, all over the place but it, it wasn't like part of a you know you know there wasn't a whole lot of them it was just a few at a time and it seems like there are these lone sounds and it's like and and we kind of started joking about it it being a, a ufo and and i know ufo wouldn't necessarily be encrypted but it, it was a, a really freaky sound and i do have an audio of it here that i'll play hopefully the audio comes through i would really love to hear it i'm just saying Play it one more time. Did that come across all right? Yeah, that's that's pretty horrifying sounding. Very spooky. <laughs> that is incredible and terrifying at the same Absolutely. time. Absolutely. Sorry for and, talking. And about that first time. That's fine. And you know, we were too. You know, we. Uh, most of them were undergraduate college students um but and had some field experience but we had no idea what it was and eventually we we got to to consulting people in the area um somebody made a recording of it and finally found somebody who knew what it was does it by the way 
I'd like to know, does anybody uh, either up on stage or in the audience have an idea of what it might be? I know, but I rode around in the car with you all the time, so I'm going to be quiet this time. <laughs> I have well, a small something to corroborate, but I don't want to, I don't want to steal the spotlight. I'm just saying. <laughs> well, it turns out it was the 17 year cicada. And so it's one of the periodic species of cicadas. And, and if you're from the Midwest or, or the South, you grow up hearing cicadas all the time, but not like this one. And Florida, it, it was, it was, so that's just a normal part of the background. And it didn't sound like any other, other cicadas. And it was so different that, like I said, we were, we were just really freaked out. And it apparently, you know, if we had heard it in a, in a large swarm, you know, when they actually emerge into a swarm, there's tons of them. They can get up to uh, anywhere from 90 or put out uh, 90 to 100 decibels of uh, sound. Um, we might have been able to pick it out, but apparently these were either very early or anomalous um, uh, uh, emergence of uh, this 17-year cicada. And the, the uh, other thing, um, just as a case of mistaken identity, when a lot of people, you know, people mention uh, mistaking Bigfoot for all kinds of animals. We've talked about moose, uh, but something in particular in the Watchtown Mountains, um, also kind of a, an unexpected thing doing field work was that uh, uh, we were on one of the transects and we saw this large, dark creature um moving through the forest and and uh, we saw it run up this very steep hill that we we couldn't believe that an animal could move that fast uh, going up through the hill but we couldn't really make make uh, out what it was and um uh, so later when we were driving around uh, up towards the top we saw a, a group or a herd of uh, wild horses. And so that's something I often wonder, especially about uh, Bigfoot sightings in the Watchtaws, is there are uh, wild horses um, in that area. And, and uh, they're, they're not like some of the Western species or if uh, people uh, have uh, seen what you think of as Mustangs, they're, they're typically smaller. But uh, these actually were very large horses. And so uh, I'm Paul, and that's all I have. That is, that's some fascinating stuff, Paul. Thank you for sharing that. That's really cool. I want to say that I am not entirely convinced that cicadas aren't aliens. Oh, and yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to put that out there. Also, I love Hot Springs, Arkansas. If you guys have never been, definitely go sometime. I grew up in central Florida, and if cicadas are not aliens, I don't understand anything about anything. So just, you know, just throwing that out there. Wow. Well, there you and go. I picked up, also, this happened there also, um, picked up a, a green frog, and uh, it the whole frog started buzzing. 
and it, you know, kind of like uh, one of those novelty toys, the hand shockers. And uh, come to find out, and I thought I had to think about it for like five seconds. What's going on with this frog? And it ended up it had just eaten a, a cicada, and the cicada was still buzz, buzzing inside of it. That's that's, that's really gnarly. Yeah, that's 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 <laughs> only <laughs> you. <laughs> that's crazy. I'm so glad that Paul is in our uh, our clubhouse group now. He has a very cool view. 100%. Yeah, thank you, Paul. Um, well, I believe that leaves uh, our friend Tate, right? Nope, I still didn't go. Oh, my I'll, goodness. I'll let... Go for it, my friend. <laughs> I'll let Tate uh, take the, the last one there. So I'm going to pick the, uh, the Luska action. I don't know if anyone has ever heard of this one. It's kind of a weird one. The reason I'm doing it is, um, I'll basically describe it. It's uh, it's a sea monster. Dis- well, if you look it up, it's it's supposed to be half um, great white shark. That's the upper half of it, and the uh, the bottom half is a tentacle, so like a squid or a kraken. That's the description of it. And uh, the reason why I even picked it is uh, a few years ago, I got an email from a production company in L.A. They wanted to do a uh, they're doing this cool program actually on the blue holes of the Bahamas where I guess Jacques Cousteau's nephew runs a uh, oceanographic institute and con- conservancy and was going to work with um, you know some pretty interesting folks and try to do a live stream expedition down in the submarine going to the bottom of this blue hole. And basically what these blue holes are is there's a few of them around the world, but the most famous one is in the Bahamas. If you look it up, you'll see this beautiful blue water and just this dark, uh, deep blue hole. And basically what it is, is it's either a sinkhole or a kind of an underwater uh, cave that sort of forms. And it just, it can go hundreds or thousands of feet deep, even though sometimes it's un- unknown. And there's a lot of lore associated with these blue holes. There's the layer of monsters, the Kraken, all sorts of stuff. And this one in the Bahamas uh, and in other spots has been said to be home of the Luska. So I got asked to kind of talk about that. And I did a bunch of research on it. And I talked to some folks that were involved in marine biology and artists to kind of try and figure out what what might be going on here with the Luska. And um, it was a cool program. But what I ended up kind of my theory of it was, you know, in the ancient world, you had mariners traversing the oceans and exploring much of the world. It was obviously a much different time. There was a lot of folklore, a lot of stories of uh, mer people, mermaids and mermen and uh, the kraken, of course, which we know is partially based on a real animal. I mean, um, you have the the giant squid, which is a real creature, actually discovered by uh, Doug Hycheck. Uh, well, filmed by Doug Hycheck, one of my uh, buddies, who's also the guy who did Monster Quest and a lot of other great cryptozoology programming. Um, you also have, you know, fantastical descriptions of animals that turned out to be rather mundane, at least now that we know about them. And I have this map on my my wall of Iceland, which has these, it has the map of Iceland, basically a map from, I think the 1600s and around it are these horrific looking creatures in the water. Well, it turns out a lot of these animals are narwhals and whales and stingrays, but they're depicted in such a way that they just look absolutely, you know, hideous and awful and, and very monster-like. So there was a lot of confusion perhaps about what was lurking in the oceans. And kind of the theory that I came up with about the Luska was maybe you had an instance at one point where a giant squid or even a large octopus had come up to the surface and giant squid don't usually come up to the surface unless they're dying. They tend to be living at great depths because uh, that's the sort of terrain they thrive in. Their their bodies are not 
you know, very, they, they live in such a pressure uh, down, you know, in the bottom of the ocean, basically, that their bodies are very gelatinous. So they need that to kind of stay together so that when they start making up to the surface, it's when they're dying or they're sick. So that's usually when they wash up and that's how they've been discovered in some occasions. So uh, perhaps one of these creatures was coming up to the surface and a great white shark attacked one or vice versa. And there was a battle and uh, some unfortunate members of a, of a ship at the time happened to see this and this spawned the legend of this crazy looking creature, Luska, because, you know, biologically it doesn't make sense to have a half shark, half octopus looking creature. So perhaps the Luska is a, that's the case of mistaken identity. I don't know, but um, when they did that program and went down to the bottom of the, the blue hole there in the Bahamas, they didn't find anything mysterious down there. So maybe the Lusco was hiding that day, but uh, that's, that's the mistaken identity cryptid I chose. So I thought that was a fun one. Dude, I, I totally agree. It's like, uh, how many different times have we seen, you know, animals, uh, like, you know, uh, they end up dying while in like, uh, kind of some form of combat like you i know in the ll bean uh up in maine you have the the classic taxidermy of the moose that are you know have their antlers uh, together i believe it's there that i saw that but yeah i could totally see that you know being like a shark and and uh the uh the the squid uh locked together like that that's pretty cool man good stuff yeah and it's interesting um I, i'll let paul chime in I, i'm sure he's got something to say but um you know, giant squids are known to battle sperm whales. I mean, that's something that is burned in my mind. When I was a kid, I, I lived in New York City when I first came to the United States. And I, I, I hate this. I'm not a city person for those that, that couldn't guess. But I, I lived in the city when I was young and I used to go to the Natural History Museum almost every day. And that's actually where I went like an hour before I did this interview. It was in New York for this discovery program. And they have this awesome kind of life-size display of a sperm whale and sort of an octa or a, a giant squid battling and that just stuck in my mind so you have these examples of these sort of epic battles that happen underwater and the, the ocean's a mysterious place i mean there's no doubt in my mind there's tons of species we don't know about that are in there there possibly could be sea monsters existing creatures that were thought to be extinct you know like the coelacanth certainly not shooting that idea down at all i just think the lusk is a little bit more on the fantastical side of things so yeah Oh, I was just going to comment that that sounds like H.P. Lovecraft nightmare. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Oh, my God, Lovecraft. Can I throw a little side note in here? Um, there is a game called Stranded Deep. They don't pay me anything. This is not an advertisement. But you fight a boss called um, the Luska, which, based on my, my Googling, appears to be just a giant squid. It doesn't have a shark face. But this creature is making appearances in modern media. I thought that was worth pointing out. That's pretty awesome. That's cool, dude. Well, I guess I'm going to have to pick Tate. You're too kind, sir. <laughs> um, I didn't really have anything either. I can, use, I can do, like, mistaken evidence. Go for it, dude. Um... So with Bigfoot, a lot of people, will, you know, you can be looking. If you're not familiar with tracks, um, I don't know if anybody's talked about this yet already, but um, sometimes you'll see a track and it looks like a Bigfoot track, but if you look closer, you might see two prints in the same track, and that could be a bear double-stepping 
which will actually give the track more length, uh, causing it to, you know, be misconstrued as a Bigfoot track. So that's one uh, thing that gets, you know, misidentified a lot when tracking. Also, uh, barred owls. Those can, you know, you can be fooled by barred owls because they'll sound like Bigfoot sometimes. Pretty much any animal that does a lot of vocalizations at night or even during the day you can uh, easily not know what it is and mistake it for a Bigfoot if you got Bigfoot on the brain especially totally yeah the barred owl is a great example I mean they make like a monkeyish sound almost they can they can do hoots you know woo, woo. but uh, the most typical sound they make is it's like woo, 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 woo. so a lot of people say it sounds like who cooked the food so just uh, cool to familiarize yourself with sounds of the forest. And you know, they can, animals can make noises that you would never expect them to. And that's what's so interesting about leaving audio recorders out or even trail cameras if they have audio capability. You can get you know, video or audio of some crazy sounds, especially you know, during mating season or other times of year that may not be sounds that people are used to hearing. So uh, it can even throw off some some pretty well versed folks. So it's uh, it's always uh, it's always fun with nature to try and figure out what's going on. Absolutely, I I don't know how many times I've been out in in the woods at nighttime, and and I know immediately what it is, but I it, I can't help but uh, be uh, freaked out by a white tailed deer huffing before it takes off mm-hmm. just exploding yeah. through the brush oh yeah like uh, i think we, we were talking about this in another room of a roughed grouse i don't know if you've ever been like yes. hiking on the appalachian yes. trail and you come uh you walk by a rough grouse and they just explode out of the leaves and you about have a heart attack it's the yeah that that might have been me talking about <laughs> yeah, that yeah, i've yeah. had that happen multiple times hiking in the white mountains in new hampshire and one of them, especially, I'll never forget, my friend and I were coming off of like a 12-mile day hike, and we were just exhausted, and we took a different trail route down, and uh, it was starting to get dark, and all of a sudden, this roughed grouse just kind of chumps out, and they do this sort of noise, and it's like a winding up. It's like, mm-hmm. and it just goes to, re- I can't even, you know, emulate it, and it just, in the moment, it scares you absolutely. We both jumped, and we're like, oh, my God, what is that? And you realize what it is instantly, but it happens so fast. I've had that happen another time while out bigfooting, actually, just heading out to a spot and having one in front of you. And, you know, your mind immediately is like, oh, my God, what? And then you kind of realize what it is. But it's uh, it's they're, they're pretty great. <laughs> they're very cool. Look them up. They're a cool looking bird. For sure. For sure. I'm going to do a, uh, a last chance call for any uh, final thoughts before we start to wind down the room and I'll do my, like, my kind of close out section. But I uh, just want to make sure uh, no one else had any uh, final uh, thoughts before we wind down the room tonight. I almost forgot about the most important one, Jeremiah. All right, go the for chipmunk. It. How many people in the woods, you know, can ask Alex how big those things sound when you're out there and it's just a chipmunk or a tree rat. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Just an example. I mean, not even necessarily chipmunk, but um, last week, I think last Wednesday I was out in the woods and in this spot where I've had some interesting stuff happen, let's put it that way. My brother and I are out there at night. I have my floor and we're being surrounded by something. Basically we have these large noises on either side and I'm thinking to myself, Oh boy, you know, there are bear and moose. I just got a moose in that area on my trail camera. So I'm thinking, oh, man, and it turned out to be 
family of porcupines. We had two adult porcupines, the mom and the dad and the baby. And I actually got them on Fleur as well. I could see the baby kind of running around, which is cool. But, you know, especially at night, you're out there, adrenaline's going, something starts, you know, moving around. It can sound a lot bigger. So it's always important to you know, stay calm and try and figure out what it is before freaking out or reacting adversely. Um, but uh, nature can be quite deceptive in that way. So it's interesting. For sure, for sure. Paul, go ahead. All right, I just finished up with uh, saying that uh, one other animal, real quick, uh, that I've heard sounds like a tree knock is when a fish will jump and sometimes they slap the water and it does kind of sound like a a knock. Um, But other than that, I think it's just important to uh, realize that the more you go out into the woods or out into nature, the more you're going to hear rare things and or your chance uh, chances are of hearing rare things. And the cicada example, the only other opportunity I would have had to have heard that as 17 year cicada, I would have been 15 years old. And so, um, yeah, I, I think it's important to do your very best to uh, try to figure out and eliminate things you know, when you, when you hear things or you see things, um, before you just automatically say, oh, it was uh, Bigfoot or it was uh, Champ or whatever cryptid you're uh, looking for. Mm, that's some, that's some good advice. Thank you, Paul. Uh, this has been a really good room tonight. Thank you all for, for coming uh, on in and having a good discussion about mistaken identity cryptids. There's a lot of uh, great people down in the audience as well. Uh, thank you for hanging out with us and those that are listening on YouTube and the podcast. I just want to say if you're down in the audience and uh, this is your first room on uh, clubhouse hanging out with us, uh, thank you for hanging out with us. And also, you know, tap Bigfoot society up at the top of your screen in the left hand corner and then tap follow so that you don't miss out on any other rooms. Uh, a lot of cool content that comes through this club. Uh, Greg is leading CryptoCasters tomorrow, and that's going to be kind of cool. He's going to put an interesting spin on uh, we're going to have, like, cryptids in outer space. It could – I mean, Greg has some stuff up his sleeves. Uh, I'm not going to not gonna say it's it, but gonna it's, it's cool. It's cool. Room. Yeah, it's going to be good. So hopefully see you there. Um, also, um, oh, for those that are listening and not in the room – um, go to at Bigfoot Society on Instagram, and if you want to uh, join Clubhouse, send me a DM. I can get you an invite into the platform, but also the club link uh, so you can join this club is in my link tree uh, in my uh, Instagram profile. But again, um, thanks so much all for, for hanging out with uh, me tonight. We had a great discussion. I'm going to go ahead and uh, shut down the room at this time, and we'll be uh, – Talking to you all later. Have a good one, all. See you later, guys.